Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. The following podcast contains explicit language, by which we mean potty talk. It's Thursday, August 23rd, 2018. From Slate, it's The Gist. I'm Evan McMorris-Santoro of Vice News, sitting in for Mike Pesca. It's two days since Michael Cohen stood in a federal courthouse and directly implicated President Trump in a federal crime. That's two days for the Trump team to spool up the spin machine and try to get their guy out of this thing. In a Fox & Friends interview that aired today, Trump offered this take. Impeach me at your doom. I'll tell you what, if I ever got impeached, I think the market would crash. I think everybody would be very poor. Because without this thinking, uh, you, would see, you would see numbers that you wouldn't believe. And if it wasn't obvious from the fact that this appearance was on Fox & Friends, Trump is talking to his base here. But instead of posturing as the golden boy who make America great again, he's kind of doing the opposite. If it's not me in the White House, you guys are screwed. Here's that clip again with Trump's final words. I'll tell you what, if I ever got impeached, I think the market would crash. I think everybody would be very poor because without this thinking, uh, you would see you would see numbers that you wouldn't believe in reverse. In reverse. It's like Trump is the local mafia heavy and the economy is your fruit stand. It'd be a shame if something happened to it. It's important to remember that Trump thinks he's really good at this. With the Republican Party staring at epically bad poll numbers just a few weeks before the midterm election, poll numbers you don't need to be a statistician to blame on Trump, the president is actually promising more public appearances, not less. Dozens of campaign stops between now and November. That leaves Trump's allies with the unenviable job of making this pretty bad news cycle appear a lot less bad. I'm going to talk more later about how Washington spins the unspinnable in situations like this. That's today's spiel. But first, I talked to three card-carrying members of the so-called dirtbag left. Virgil Texas, Will Meneker, and Matt Chrisman are some of the hosts behind Chapo Trap House, the leftist podcast that takes no prisoners. They're out with a new book. Here's that. I'm here to tell you about one of the most attractive automobiles you're ever going to lay your eyes on. And it's not just how good it looks. It's everything that can do. For those who embrace the impossible, the Defender 110 is up for the adventure. This iconic vehicle has been redefined with thoroughly modern design. The exterior, which won me over, is reimagined with compelling proportions and precise detailing. The interior is built with integrity using the most robust of materials. The Defender capability is legendary, whether you're facing off-road challenges or harsh weather conditions. The Defender 110 lets you go further and do more. Cargo capacity means you got room for your gear. To drive the Defender is to do what you do via your intellect, via your 
passions in life, it is to explore with greater confidence. Ready for a wide range of adventures? The Defender family features the two-door Defender 90, the Defender 110, the Defender 130 that seats up to eight. Learn more at LandRoverUSA.com forward slash Defender. Jabo Trap House has been a huge phenomenon on the podcast world and on the internet, and now it's a book you can buy in a bookstore. It's called The Chapo Guide to Revolution, A Manifesto Against Logic, Facts, and Reason. And I'm joined by three of the hosts of Chapo Trap House and authors of the book, Will, Matt, and Virgil. How are you guys doing? Slate, I'm listening. Good. Um, I bought the audio book, and I'm reading the PDF that your publisher sent me, but... Thank you. I'm interested. I'm in the part right now where you're sort of ticking off all the different presidents uh, since Roosevelt, and you're into Carter, and you're into and and you're talking about all the narrative that progressives have, sort of being kind of false. That there hasn't been a surge of like actual leftism in quite a while. Is that sort of? Am I reading that right? Well, I mean, the the stark reality is that there really hasn't been a muscular or effective left in this country for 40 years minimum. And the, what we have been dealing with instead is, is sort of a back and forth between two neoliberal parties that are both committed to just marketizing everything. And uh, those battles that have sort of been popularly understood as ideologically contested between the left and right is really kind of just an inter-party civil war essentially around cultural issues. Um, we open our, our chapter on liberals with, uh, with two quotes, and the first of which is a very long monologue delivered by Jimmy Smith on the West Wing in, during their debate episode where he debates the Republican candidate played by Alan Alda. And, you know, I think this was written by Lawrence O'Donnell and Aaron Sorkin together, and this Ugh. was like, this was their like <laughs> epic mic drop moment of like, this is what they've been waiting to hear a Democratic candidate say their entire lives when a Republican tars them with the label liberal. And what the Jimmy Smith's character says is like, it was liberals who gave us the Civil Rights Act, the Voting Rights Act, you know, the Clean Air Act, and just... Pogs. Yeah, yeah. And (laughs) What did liberals do that was so offensive to the Republican Party, Senator? I'll tell you what they did. Liberals got women the right to vote. Liberals got African-Americans the right to vote. Liberals created Social Security and lifted millions of elderly people out of poverty. And our response to that is not that that's false. The Democrats, the the liberal wing of the Democratic Party did do those things. But importantly for our show and most of the people who listen to it, they all did it well before any of us were born and in the course of our lifetimes have done the opposite. I I mean, if you are a working person of a certain age in this country, I can't imagine how pissed off you must be at the Democratic Party. Just look at the state of unions today. It's like, what, 6% of the private sector is unionized? Uh, Compared to the state of the labor movement in the 60s and 70s. But the idea of this becoming a uh, a younger movement now, getting into this sort of thing, what do you think precipitated that? I mean, you talk about the idea of obviously things have been flat for a while. Things haven't changed in a long time. But now it feels like all of a sudden young people are really interested in this. Is it because of Bernie? Is it because of you? I mean, what happened? It's, it's several things. Yeah. Uh, the, the main one, the, like the real concrete one that everything else is built on is the crash of 2008. Is the fact that the economy that the, the young people have inherited – because uh, you're talking about people who maybe graduated college around that time or afterwards, they inherited an economy that has recovered on paper and has certainly recovered for the for the one percent, but has absolutely failed to, 
deliver any kind of stable, meaningful path towards stability for anyone else. Uh, you know, Bernie plays a role in it as well because, you know, for the first time there, there was a kind of a figurehead for this or there was someone on the national stage who was succeeding and saying, you know, I'm a socialist. I represent democratic socialist values. Uh, to go, you know, further within what Matt said, the economic crash plays a big role in it. But um, I think absolutely almost just as important is uh, 9-11, the war on terror and the war on Iraq. It's not just the economy that has made young people disgusted with, you know, liberals and the current state of, of our government. Uh, the Iraq war was a hugely radicalizing experience for me because, again, it was not just the Bush administration. I mean, they made it happen. Don't get me wrong. But the Iraq war was a project that was signed on to by many of the leading liberal institutions in American life and politics. Just quickly, help me make this uh, this sort of this idea practical in the current world. So what's the ideal Chapo candidate? Is there one out there right now? Um, I don't think you could say ideal, but I mean, you can point to candidates who have articulated more robust uh, left-wing platforms and and sort of show a way, uh, uh, an alternative to the, the way that Democrats have run traditionally. Uh, who was that guy on uh, the Ninja Turtles who had the brain in a... Uh, Crank. 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 Yeah, that's my ideal strategy. <laughs> Crank, right, yeah. <laughs> well, no, I mean... I mean uh, you, can I try you, to pin you down on this, though? I mean, just, I mean, to, like, to pin you down, like, on the 2020 field, like, that we've heard about, who do you like? Like, is it Warren, Bernie? I mean, I know it's not Cory Booker, but, like, who 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 is out there? Uh, you know, Bernie, if he runs again, I'd be, yeah, I'd be happy to vote for him. He's a trillion years old. That's not ideal. And the movement absolutely has to move beyond these sort of figures heads and stuff. But like, he is in a sense, the only one who really has that comprehensive willingness to critique capitalism as it exists. And none of the, none of the other ones do. And and frankly, I don't think the left and, 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 you know, even Warren, Warren doesn't do it for you. I mean, she says explicitly, you know, I'm a capitalist. She used to be a Republican and she became a Democrat literally because she thought the Democrats were the more competent managers of the capitalist state. So, I mean, that's, that's a compromise. Sure. She wants to, you know, reform Wall Street, which is all well and good. I'd rather somebody, you know, destroy Wall Street. I, I mean, I think, I mean, me personally, I think Warren, is probably better than most of the Democratic Party, sure, but yeah. that's a very low bar to clear. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, you know, obviously, I don't put a lot of faith in the Democratic Party or have much respect for the people who run it. But I mean, I honestly think, uh, I, I, like, we're trying our best to not have them lose again to the Republicans. And sure. a, a big part of that is like not so much a candidate, but establishing as a baseline. A, a set of values and policies that is the bare minimum for anyone who claims to want to represent young people or a better future or yeah. or, 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 or the uh, be against the evil of the Republican Party and conservative movement, a baseline that includes a national health care system, the, the decommodification of things like health care and education at the very least and the ending end, the goddamn war and ending our insane military empire and like you know not allowing us to be an arms dealer for saudi arabia and israel how about that and the, but the, the problem is that the democratic party constitutionally cannot it cannot evolve like that unless you excise the the the, the tumor growing within it and that's people like haim saban that's every billionaire that every candidate kisses up to that's all the wealthy individuals whom uh, uh, every single Democratic member of Congress spends hours every day 
calling and sucking up to and saying, yes, I share your priorities. In the short term, I mean, I'll say, yes, I do want the Democrats to take back both houses of Congress. I do think that they will do that simply because I'm just praying for gridlock. We know what happens when Republicans are in charge of everything. Yes, it's it's the worst, most violent monstrosity imaginable. I'm not saying that these Democrats will be good that they share my values or that they be effective legislators. I'm saying they will at the very at bare minimum, you know, occupy all of Washington's time investigating the Trump administration, feuding with him, hopefully blocking some of his some of these Dracula judges until, you know, we all get consumed by the election and nothing happens. That's the best we can pray for right now is stasis. To- but if Democrats, if we have President, you know, Kamala Harris or, or Liz Warren and, and a, a full Democratic Congress in 2021, I genuinely think it'll be Obama redux and that we're just going to end up back where we were again. This has to be a long-term grassroots uh effort to reorientate the center-left base of American electorate, largely by increasing it vastly. And the good news is there's plenty of people there. Uh, the, 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 the simple fact is that the narrow-casting idea of, of conventional politics that all the smart people uh, believe is unbreakable, the idea that you have a group of voters and they are constitutionally different than non-voters and you have to basically work with it, work, figure out a way to peel off 50 plus one of those people. That is a recipe for stagnation and the same cycle of awfulness that we've seen in the last 30 years of an unending bipartisan imperial war and unending uh, support for this vampire finance capitalism. And then the, the two parties basically switching off as one side gets what they want in terms of a president. The other side spends four or eight years fuming and screaming and gnashing their teeth until they get what they want again. I don't know if you saw this, but very recently, the New York Times did this like incredibly detailed map of the 2016 election where they broke down like every how every single county voted. And it's this huge red and blue map. The most interesting variation or sort of like data set pulled out of that is when they touted up all of the counties in which more than half of the population didn't vote. What you see is gigantic black swaths on that same red and blue map. This is often touted in the press as evidence of voter apathy, that Mm -hmm. people just don't care. They've checked out of politics. I would think another, perhaps more accurate way to look at it is that the oligarchy in charge of our politics and government is illegitimate. It does not have the democratic consent of the people it governs. And the people who do not vote are not voting out of apathy. They're voting out of a realistic sense that no matter who wins the election, it will not improve their lives. To, uh, to, right. to that point— This is sort of the perfect well, election for the Democrats to make their West Wing argument, right? Like, they, like they're like, you vote for us and all these things will change. It's very easy to suggest that things will change oh, yeah. in, a, in a grand way when things are the way they are right now, right? Like anything would be different, so that makes it a little bit harder— but you guys talk about this being a long-term goal is the idea. that this is, this is a long-term project. Yeah, and the thing is, is we actually have bafflingly been called nihilists by a bunch of people. But in my opinion, anyone who believes in their heart that the electorate as it exists is unchangeable and the, the rest – the future is these billionaires funding these sclerotic political parties in their effort to market and micro-target these slivers of, of suburbanites – until we're all consumed by rising uh, floodwaters and, and it's 140 degrees out every day, uh, that's nihilism. That is the that is just that's the black pill in my opinion. And and I, and anyone who believes that, I honestly don't know why you're in politics. Why you don't have a bunker somewhere? 
let me just wrap up on this. I want to just get a get your take on this particular week that we're living in. Um, a lot of people in Washington think Lightning that like round. yesterday was like the most important day since Trump was elected in terms of you know a day that will live in history. I've been uh, seeing written uh, many times. Do you guys feel the same way about uh, yesterday how, and all the convictions how, and all? How quickly we forget the day he tweeted Kafifi. <laughs> <laughs> Trump is obviously a quote. He's obviously a deplorable man. And his campaign certainly, you know, violated uh, a litany of, of campaign finance laws and so on and so forth because we know that in his business dealings, he just constantly violates laws anyway. We've known that to begin with. What I don't understand is why in the liberal mind that how this leads to his death Downfall when yeah. we already have reams of evidence uh, about this man's moral and ethical turpitude and his illegal acts. Only- I'm sorry, he's never Trump is never going behind bars, and uh, frankly, he's not going to be removed from office. Well, that's the thing is that like I think these people because they can argue, hey, this isn't actually about the Russia thing. This is ancillary. Like the Michael Cohen thing is about the money laundering. Stormy, from, Daniels. Stormy Daniels, and these are criminal acts, and like these, they've got him dead to rights on criminality. Well, he'd still have to be impeached and removed from office yeah, by a Republican Congress and Senate, which will, to quote Hillary Clinton, never ever happen. Because the, the, in the liberal mind that all of the facts will come out and then uh, uh, then uh, all, the, uh, uh, all the all the all the adults in charge are going to say well your time is up. The, Barry Goldwater is going to go into the White House like with Nixon. Yes and, and then say, everyone ever, John McCain is going to they're going to wheel <laughs> him out there and he's going to drape himself in the flag and it's going to be all the fucking dignity and patriotism we're all going to jack each other off. <laughs> I mean that's not going to happen and you're going to you're fundamentally you just want to win an argument with your equally brain addled uh, relative Yes, uh, I know people Facebook. who are people who are scrolling through Twitter wildly with you know MSNBC on in the background, <laughs> watching this stuff, hoping that this is you know what they need to do to be really informed about this stuff to try and change because the situation now and get Trump out of there. Fucking- what should they be doing instead? This is a fucking game for them. This is just, it's just posting. That's all it is. Uh, it's, it's, I've seen people say, you know, oh, this, don't look at this. This is going to be a distraction. You have to focus and get your facts right so you can do the posts. <laughs> no, to give a sincere answer to your question, what they should be doing is getting involved with any of the uh, grassroots efforts to uh, have Medicare for all or a national health care system. Or abolish in this fucking country. ICE. Or abolish ICE. Or abolish or- wage slavery. Yeah, yeah they, they strikes. Should. There's a prison strike happening right now. Support that. If you're gonna, if all you can do is tweet for whatever reason, tweet about that yeah. instead of about Robert Mueller coming in and saving the day. Because it won't happen. Because any Republican House member or senator who voted to impeach Daddy Trump in a party where he has the highest favorability rating among his supporters of any president in modern history is gonna get primaried by some Nazi memorabilia collecting <laughs> boat dealership owner in his district and get killed. So that means it won't. <laughs> happen. He will not be removed from office. He will not be indicted. Uh, the the idea that he could be indicted, that is an unsettled question, whether a president can be indicted. There is no settlement Here's on a- whether it's possible for a sitting president to be indicted. And guess what courts would be deciding that dis- th- that question? Brett Kavanaugh. Brett Kavanaugh come on folks. down. The Federalist <laughs> Society. Tom Skoka made this point today. Uh, he says, I'm looking forward to when Brett Kavanaugh issues the cast of the deciding vote in a 5-4 decision that concludes that all of those illegal campaign contributions were free speech, baby. Yeah, because like we're gonna have his court decide for one and all for finally for to, to as a settled law that a president sitting president can't be indicted, and, and then sorry, you're done. And I'm sorry, the, yeah, the game is right. The the Degas Act against you, and you're not going to do anything about it. You're not going to you're not going to fill the streets in revulsion when he fires Robert Mueller. No, you're going to post about it, and you're going to watch Rachel Maddow cry. Fuck off. <laughs> right. I'm going to be okay. doing whippets. <laughs> 
<laughs> All right. And uh, with that, I think we'll let you guys go. Will, Matt, and Virgil, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having us. Thanks. Thank you. taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on that's nice at caskers.com we make this experience easy caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code welcome 10 for ten dollars off your first purchase get ten dollars off your first purchase with code welcome 10 at caskers.com and now the spiel It's scandal time again in Washington. It's basically been scandal time since January 2017, but this week things really reached a new level of exposed corruption. You've got the president's former campaign chair being convicted in federal court, and that's the page two story. The really juicy, scandally news is about Michael Cohen, President Trump's longtime personal attorney. He was in federal court this week, too. He was there to confess crimes, the sexiest being paying off women who were going to go public with stories of their affairs with Donald Trump before his Oval Office days. Cohen says he made the payments at the request of Trump. Now, specifically, when asked by the judge to describe the crime, Michael Cohen said, in coordination and at the direction of the candidate for federal office, he had made these payments. So he is implicating Donald Trump in this, although not specifically by name. And then Trump admitted on Fox & Friends that he had, in fact made payments. Did you know about the payments? Uh, later on, I knew. Later on. But you have to understand, Ainsley, what he did, and they weren't taken out of campaign finance. That's a big thing. That's a much bigger thing. Did they come out of the campaign? They didn't come out of the campaign. They came from me, and I tweeted about it. We're going to battle this thing out in the coming weeks, talking forever about what laws got broken and by whom, and then what to do about it. But for now, you've got a president in very hot water and an election in 75 days. So that means it's time for cynicism on parade. This is what that sounds like from famous legal scholar Alan Dershowitz on Fox News. Again, violation of election laws are regarded as kind of jaywalking in the realm of things about elections. Uh, And there are so many of them. Every administration violates the election laws. Every candidate violates the election laws when they run for president. This is what people do here in D.C. a lot. When a politician they like does something bad, they say everyone does it. Nothing can be done. Nothing to see here. You may recall this from the late 1990s when Democrats were saddled with a president who had sexual relations with an intern in the Oval Office. A lot of people back then talked about how everyone does it. This is just how politicians are. They were, for the most part, not the people who are saying it now. Back then, those people thought it was a pretty big deal. Then more recently, there was the tale of the Secretary of State using a private email server for government business, then deleting thousands of emails she said were private before turning the rest over for government archiving. Her defense? Not a big deal. Everyone in Washington uses private email even when they're supposed to be using government addresses. It's often hard to gauge how big a deal something is in modern Washington. There's so much stuff all the time, and people can't figure out what to think. But here's a good rule of thumb. When you start hearing everyone does it, it's not a big deal from one side, you can believe they're actually worried. 
And that's it for today's show. The Dish was produced by Pierre Bienname and Daniel Schrader. Steve Lichtai is executive producer of Slate Podcasts. I'm Evan McMorris-Santoro, trying to fill in for Mike Pesca. Oomperu, Deeperu... Wait, what? What the hell? Wait, what? <laughs> I mean, I've heard that, but I don't know. Did I have to say... No, I can say it. Okay. Um, okay. Oomperu, Deperu, Duperu, and thanks for listening. <laughs>